Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Long with this week's Smart Garden. Thanks so much for joining us. Denny Long is away. He's on a good neighbor tour. He'll be back next Saturday morning here on the CCO Smart Garden, brought to you by... By the yard, outdoor furniture, Julie Wise and Horn in yeah, Good morning, Steve. How you doing? Yeah, good to see you. Yeah. Busy, busy too. time. This is prime time, isn't it? It is yard? really busy. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have a couple of days off, <laughs> but still answering people's questions, so that's cool. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, we've already got a number of texts, 81807, as you heard a moment ago with Dan, 81807, or call 651 989 Nine two two six six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Quick thought out of the gate. Sure. Uh, fertilizing. We're on July one. Uh, fertilizing uh, vegetable gardens, uh, flower gardens, annuals. What's kind of the rule there, and how much people should fertilize? Well, at this point, I mean, a soil test is always a good okay. idea because uh, we we always need to add nitrogen to our soil because that's a mobile nutrient that moves through the moves through the uh, through the soil. It's absorbed by lots of different plants and used that way. But um, things like phosphorus, for example, we are typically around most of Minnesota, we are in a high phosphorus type of soil because phosphorus is a is a, uh, an element that clings to soil particles. And uh, that's why we're concerned when there's erosion and that soil is moving into our waterways. It's taking that phosphorus with it. So we are typically in a very high phosphorus type of soil. So uh, we, when somebody goes to look, for example, lawn fertilizer, they're not going to find a home lawn fertilizer that has phosphorus in it. You're going to see a big zero for that middle number. Um, and that's because we typically don't need it. Um, for gardens and for flowers, phosphorus is an element that actually will boost the bloom factor. Um, so when you plant a new transplant, uh, put a plant in a container. Putting in a slow-release fertilizer is a good idea. And at this point, if that's if that's what you did, you don't need to add any more fertilizer right now. That slow-release fertilizer is probably still active and moving. But if you haven't done anything or if your plants are looking, say, a little bit yellow, you might want to shoot them with a, uh, a liquid fertilizer uh, that uh, that can actually boost that uh, the leaf color and add some more nitrogen to those leaves. All right, and it looks like it's going to warm up as well. Yeah, so it's nice uh, keep in mind water. Watering's yeah. important, and we have a great publication on our extension site, uh, a section called Water Wisely. And that site is extension.umn.edu. You can click on the garden tab and go to Yard and Garden. And, uh, and it has some excellent publications on watering lawns, watering trees and shrubs, and watering gardens. So those are really good resources, especially with the trees, because we oftentimes don't see any kind of issues with trees until it's too late. 
And uh, so watering your mature trees is really important. All right, let's start on the phone lines today, and we're going to try to get to as many calls and texts between <laughs> now and 9 o'clock. Let's start with Dixie and Dodge Center. Dixie, you're on Smart Gardens. Hello. We have raspberry plants, and they're just loaded with immature berries, and they've not filled out at all in the last three weeks. I'm wondering if eventually they will or if this is the end for them. Uh, well, it's hard to say as far as uh, what is going on, why they, you're, I, I assume you're saying they haven't leafed out, correct? They're full of, um, full of berries, but not leaves. Berries. Okay. So I think that, uh, you know, I'm not sure why they wouldn't be leafing out, except that they may be an older plant that you may be wanting to incorporate some new varieties into or some new plants into your, uh, into your bed. Um, do you clean out the bed every spring and take out the old canes? And Yes, this okay. um, roll of berries is uh, three years old. So okay. they're just, oh, there's a lot of foliage and they're tall and healthy looking, but the fruit has not matured out. It's like they're small berries, hundreds of small berries, but they haven't filled out any further than, say, a pea. Okay, so you're worried about the fruit, not the leaves. Correct. Okay. Well, with the fruit, uh, it, you may want to um, do a little bit of amending, adding, maybe adding in some fertilizer at this point into the, uh, into the soil to boost those berry production. It could be just that we haven't had any hot weather. I mean, it's been pretty chilly, and those berries are just a little bit slower than normal because, the, you know, it's been, we, have had, we had that burst of hot weather, but we really haven't had the the warm days of summer yet. So uh, as long as the plants look great, I would say, you know, keep them watered. You might want to compost or, or mulch around the base of the plants to help hold in moisture and just uh, kind of keep an eye on them. All right, let's go to the phone scan. Let's bring in Dave in Forest Lake. Dave, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Good morning. Uh, I got a question. Now, the recent hailstorm just decimated our uh, hostas out here. And we have about 105 varieties of them. Wow. Is this, can we uh, cut back the bad leaves? Will it actually re, uh, regrow new leaves? Well, they'll continue to put out leaves throughout the season. Um, I would say if the leaves are really shredded and they're maybe the lower leaves, the, more, the older leaves, you could maybe take some of those out. Um, you don't want to take too many up because they still do photosynthesize even with the kind of the ragged edges. So uh, you'll have to make a call on that. If the leaves are really, really beat up and they're just hanging there or they're broken, then, yes, you could cut those off. But they will survive. Hostas oh, yeah. are Hostas, tough. yeah, they'll survive, and they'll put out more leaves. We have a lot of growing season left. All right, and uh, hostas, it's a long way between now and fall. But uh, do you clean those up in the fall, or do you clean them up in the spring? I'm lazy. I do them in the spring. Yeah. <laughs> That's fall, okay. Fall time, I'm ready. Well, I, I kind of look yeah. at it this way. The, the leaves die back, they cover the crown, and I see them as kind of a natural protection right. for the plant. But, yeah, I'm kind of lazy by fall time. I'm like, oh, I'll wait till spring. Yeah, we'll worry about that yeah, later. Exactly. But I'm just wondering if it, yeah. leaving the damage over the winter will be all right. Let's go to Lance in Cottage Grove. Lance, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Morning. Len, but that's all right. Oh, Len, um, okay. <laughs> I'm wondering about mosquito wigglers in rain barrels, and we have a watering van, so we're saving a lot of water. Okay. <laughs> what do we do with them? Mosquito wig, mosquito wigglers. Yep. Well, the so are larvae. these the larvae? Yep. 
Oh, okay. Well, um, hmm. Do you, have, do you have a screen over? Have you got a screen over your water, your rain barrels? No. Okay, no. that's the first thing is you want to put some kind of a screening over that to keep that open water from being exposed. Okay. You can buy screening, like window screening. And just stretch it over and tie it around the edge. That's that's the simplest way. Um, but if you have them now, um, boy, I'm not sure if treating that water would be a good idea because you're putting that on your plants. I'm, Correct. That's that's going to be a pesticide. Um, I would say, you know, try to. I would put the screen over it now, and that would at least contain the insects from from escaping. All right. That's. But- I think that's what I would do. I don't think I would treat it though. All right, let's go to the phones again. Let's go to mom. That's a good question. Vanessa, you're on the air. Hello. Good, good morning. Good My morning. question is about pruning back some burning bushes at this time of the year. Um, is it good or bad, and how much can I do? Well, euonymus are a pretty hardy bunch. <laughs> and um, you usually the rule of thumb for pruning is to not prune more than a third of the plant. Okay. Um, because you're cutting you're, everything you cut off, you're cutting off any potential photosynthetic material, which adds, right. But if they're you know if if they're overgrowing a window, overgrowing a doorway, a pathway, yes, you could do some judicious pruning and uh, and just kind of keep that rule of thumb in in uh, the back of your head as you're pruning those off. All right, uh, good call. We've got uh, some phone lines open at the moment. Six five one nine eight nine. Nine two two six, and we have Kevin waiting. We'll get to Kevin right out of the break in a moment, and we'll go to the text line as well. A lot on the text line here on Smart Gardens at eight one eight zero seven. That's eight one eight zero seven. Julie Wise and Horn is in, of course. Uh, each and every week, we visit with the experts from the University of Minnesota Extension Service. It is at eight eighteen here at CCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more play it at play.it it is the smart gardens show and of course julie wise and horn in studio today here are the phone numbers 651-989-9226 you can text 81807 that is 81807 denny long is away he'll be back next saturday morning glad to have julie aboard and let's go to the phone lines we've had uh, kevin waiting in big leg for a while kevin you're on the air good morning Yes, I'm calling with a question about glyphosate. Um, I read and understand that it's a carcinogen for people and it accumulates. Why Why is that recommended? Well, glyphosate is, uh, well, it's the active ingredient in products like Roundup. And I am not a pesticide expert, um, but it is the a pesticide that actually will kill the plants that people want to kill. So um, it is effective. It resides in the soil probably about seven days. You can plant within about seven days or so after that. There are different kinds of glyphosate combinations for different kinds of plants. So um, the newest Roundup for lawns that came out is not glyphosate. It's a different kind of a an active ingredient, and, uh, and it's basically... Um, will not kill grasses, which are monocots versus dicots. Those are broadleaf weeds. Why we recommend it, there's lots of things out there that people utilize, and it's a very uh, controversial topic. And um, that's about all I can say about it at this point, because we, it is something when people want to kill a weed, that is an effective product. 
And uh, we always hear about Creeping Charlie, and this is a good segue into Creeping Charlie. It is effective on uh, nuisance plants like Creeping Charlie that uh, drive people crazy. Right, yes, and uh, we've recommended a mixture of glyphosate and triclopyr as a product uh, to kill Creeping Charlie, which is in the mint family. Um, There's a great publication that just came out from a couple of our graduate students in the TERF program on, on managing Creeping Charlie and also on the value of Creeping Charlie flowers to pollinators, which has been, uh, some people have said, oh, yeah, it's a great plant for pollinators. Well, you'll find that there are actually different kinds of flowers within a Creeping Charlie plant, and some of them have some value and some of them have no value. So I would say take a look at that publication. But to Kevin's question, yeah, there's a, it's very controversial. There's lots of topics out there in landscaping that are controversial, and you, it depends who you talk to and uh, the research that's out there. So I would recommend if you do read and if you are interested in that, that you take a look at multiple publications. Don't just go by one publication, but take a look at the broad spectrum. That's how researchers uh, gather information. And, uh, and then also a lot of it's a personal choice. Um, some people are willing to use a chemical to alter their landscape. Some people are not. And that's that's a choice that we all make on a daily basis, you know, in many different realms of our life. So I would say that, um, you know, that's something that, that you decide and, you know, um, and other people make other choices. So, All right. Uh, let's go to the phones again. Chuck in Millbank. Chuck, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, we have two uh, bushes, an a evergreen-type bush and a cranberry bush that have overgrown their area. Can we prune them back at this time of the year? Well, the, the, the cranberry, I take it that's a viburnum. That's a common name for the cranberry bush viburnum. And that, uh, that you could prune back now. That's done blooming. Um, if you do prune it, you may be pruning off uh, blossoms for next year, but you could uh, prune that now if you wanted to. You want to, bloom, you want to prune those pretty quickly after they've bloomed. As far as the evergreen goes, it uh, depends on what kind of evergreen it is. And some evergreens, like pines, the way you prune those is you actually break the candles off of it. Those are the new growth that come in the spring, and you actually snap those off, and that's a way of keeping that plant from getting too large or growing more slowly. Uh, other plants like yews uh, or junipers, you can prune those back now, and, uh, and you want to take a look. Take a look at our pruning uh, publication on our trees and shrubs section on evergreens because there's some good techniques for pruning that so it doesn't look so ragged. Uh, my my advice to you on the evergreens is that you think about where the sun is hitting the branches. So, for example, on an arborvitae, uh, arborvitaes should be pruned almost like a big, not a cone per se, but they should be broader at the bottom than at the top. And the reason for that is these are full sun plants, and you want as much sun to hit as many branches as possible. If you prune toward the bottom, like if you bring it in tighter, like an ace, like an upside down ace, you know, or ace of spades is. Then you start to lose that sunshine at those lower branches, and you get those bare, ugly branches at the base of your plant. So think of it more like a big gumdrop in a way, and where you have wider branches at the bottom so that the sunlight can hit those. And that will keep that plant full. You won't have the bare spots at the bottom, and, uh, and it will be a much healthier plant. All right, uh, quick follow-up on uh, maybe a lilac shrub that's getting out of hand. Is is this a good time, or should you wait on lilacs? Right now, we're a little bit late on pruning lilacs. However, if it's getting out of hand, again, if it's blocking access to doorways, windows, pathways, 
Uh, I have a lilac that overgrows my male person's, <laughs> you know, access to my mailbox. So uh-huh. I prune that out, you know, at any time because it's a it, it's not a hazard sure. plant, but it's an you know it's awkward. And so, uh, but ideally, if you're pruning for flowers for next year, you'd want to prune those spring blooming plants within a couple of weeks of bloom. We're well past that at this point. All right, quick break. Uh, we'll have an update on the weather, and then we'll come back with more. We've got Mickey, Chris, and Dave all waiting on the phone lines. We have a ton of texts as well. It is Smart Gardens. Julie Wise and Horn in studio today. Phone number is 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. It is 81807 here at CCO. It is 8.33 on a Saturday morning. Smart Gardens brought to you by... By the Yard Outdoor Furniture, Julie Wise and Horn in ah, Good today. morning. Good to see you. We've yeah. had a lot of calls and a lot a of texts. It is prime time <laughs> yep. for sure. It certainly uh, is. And a lot of people want to get busy in the yard. Let's get busy on the phone lines. Let's go to Mickey. You're on the air. Good morning. Hello there. Good morning. Um, thank you so much for this show. It's just wonderful. Enjoy listening to it every Saturday. Thank you. Thank you. I have a couple of tree form hydrangeas, and um, they have not uh, flowered yet. I don't even see really the buds yet, but it is a late, late bloomer uh, in our yard. Okay. And um, I do cut it back every fall and to very compact uh, form. And now the, the, the new branches are quite leggy this year. I assume because of the weather or whatever. Um, now, when the, the flowers do form, it's really going to droop. Is there a way to prevent that, or is there a time I could have, uh, again, pruned it uh, this spring? Uh, I think the I think the best thing is actually to prune them in the spring and not prune uh, them in the fall. Okay. And just to trim them back. Um it's a little different because they're on a standard, but I think I think the the same pruning would hold with those. You know, traditionally when they're in the ground as a as a normal shrub, you would prune them in the spring. You could leave those flower heads on there through the winter, get a little bit of winter interest out of them, and then uh, and then prune those back in the spring. I think that would probably make them a little less leggy. All right. So I, you I might... use tomato cages around my hydrangeas. Oh, do you? Oh, to yeah, hold them up? Kind of oh, prop them sure. Up. Do you have like an Annabelle hydrangea? Yeah, yeah. I've, they're I've, kind of the big heads, yeah. big white. Yeah. So that, so holding them up. She has a. What she's talking about is a standard where it's been grafted, and forms oh. a, a more like a tree shape, like a lollipop shape almost. And she shears them very tightly in the fall. And I think shearing them in the spring might be a better, a better bet on that one. That's because it's a specialized pruning. That's a good question for one of your garden centers. Maybe if you purchase them at a local garden center, you could talk with them about that. Or if, um, uh, and oftentimes they'll give you that advice on that kind of specialized pruning. All right, let's go to Chris and Excel's here. Chris, you're on the air with Julie. Good morning. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Good morning. I uh, bought, bought some bare root apple trees this spring and uh, been fighting scale insects. Do you guys have any recommendations on how to get these under control? Oh, scale is really tough. I'm sorry for you on that one. That's a difficult one. Um, so scale, probably using, um, if you've, I don't know if you've been using like an insecticidal soap or horticultural oil on those. What yeah, if, just a regular pyrethrin. Okay. Uh, tempo specifically. Okay. So uh, with the scale, the scale is a sucking insect as a little covering over it. 
And so it makes it hard to use any kind of a contact. So you might go with a systemic uh, pesticide, meaning that you put it down in the soil and, and water it in and it, the tree takes it up. And then, then as the insect chews on that or sucks on the, on the plant tissue, it, it absorbs the poison then. So that might be one thing. You want to be really careful with apple trees, though, that you're choosing a product uh, that is bee safe because you need those bees for pollination in the spring. So uh, be sure that you're looking at and reading those labels. And that's true of any chemical. Is you, you definitely, even the most, most lowest toxic, you want to choose those. And then you want to really read that label and follow it. Make sure your edibles are on there. Make sure that the apple tree is listed as a plant you can use this on. And then also uh, you want to follow those instructions to the letter because the label is a law. And, uh, and that's all about safety. All right. Let's go to Dave in Maple Grove. Dave's got to follow up on uh, the rain barrel. Talk oh, great. Yeah, I had uh, the same issue, and I discovered that the larvae seem to come up to the top, go down to the bottom, up to the top, I think for oxygen or something. But okay. if you put a tiny little bit of, of dormant oil okay. on top, they, it kills them. They die. Oh, awesome. When they, and, and maybe even vegetable oil might okay. work. I think it's just to get keep them from getting access to the air. Yeah, it suffocates them. That's how yeah. those oils work. Yeah, great tip. So great it doesn't tip. take much, and that can't, dormant oil can't harm anything, I don't think. That's great. Awesome. That's a great tip. Thank All you. Right, Dave, Thanks for calling yep. in. Outstanding. And you're a fan of rain barrels. I am a fan of rain barrels. I have four. <laughs> I could use two more, too, okay. Carl. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, uh, certainly covering those rain barrels with the screening is important. And also uh, there's some uh, two good publications we were talking about offline. One is from uh, Washington State University and one is from, I believe it's Purdue. And, uh, and they, they talk about the quality of water. In rain barrels, and one of the biggest tips is that you need to clean those rain barrels every spring. So you want to use a little bit of bleach and water, about a ten percent bleach solution, and you want to clean those out. Get a big long scrubber, a toilet bowl brush, a clean one, of course, would be a really good uh, tool for that. And clean those barrels out before you fill them, and try to get as much of that uh, any algae or anything that's accumulated over the year. You could do it in the fall too before you put them away for the winter, and that would save you one task to do in the spring because it's busy then. But cleaning those out, and be sure to clean the nozzles and the two the hoses that come off of those as well. All right, that was Rain. one of the big points they both made. Rain barrels are a good thing. I, yeah, excellent. I, I keep thinking about it, and then I see the price tag, and I'm like, eh. yeah. Well, you know, you can find deals, and there's yeah. lots of styles. We were talking about. Yeah. I don't think rain barrels should be the star of your landscape. You shouldn't look at your landscape and go, "Wow, look at the rain barrel and the flowers." You should say, "Look at the flowers," and oh, there's a rain barrel back there somewhere. All right, so. let's jump to the text line. We have a number of those, and we promise we'll go to the phone lines momentarily. And the folks waiting there, Jim and Mary, hang on. A couple of quick texts. I have a burgundy-colored daylily. It's losing its deep color. It's now a shade of red. How can I bring the color back in that daylily? Well, it's probably fading maybe from uh, could be sun exposure. Um, I don't know if there's a way to you can actually deepen the color of a flower in that respect. So uh, it could be just a year that it's a little more pale. It might need... You know, you, if the leaves are a little bit yellow, you might want to shoot it up with some fertilizer at this point. Uh, can I plant the seeds of my lily of the valley uh, every year? I'm surprised you have to because lily of the valley spreads uh, by underground roots, and it's really uh, somewhat an aggressive plant. Um, you can try seeding them. I always encourage people to try doing that. 
uh, you know, try experimenting with different plants, you know, and, and collecting seed and seeing if you can start plants with it. Because sometimes it's a little challenging. Uh, you might want to put those seeds down in the fall, uh, not wait till spring because they, uh, I, I'm not sure, but they may need a cold period, mean, meaning a winter time in the soil stratification, it's called. Uh, here's another one from the text line. Every year my rutabagia gets some kind of mite in the leaves and dry out and they look terrible. I have sandy soil that may lack nitrogen. What could may be lack nitrogen. Uh, you could actually mix in around those roots a little bit of, or if you're dividing them or moving them, mix in some compost into that sandy soil to hold moisture. That could help as well. Sometimes mites are attracted to kind of hot, dry, windy weather. Um, and then also be sure that it's the mite that's the problem. Sometimes there's a, a disease issue that can be rectified in a number of different ways, depending on what it is. And those mites are kind of secondary. Um, the other thing is to be sure to space your plants well so that you have air circulation around those plants. Uh, leaves of my perennial hibiscus are curling up, creating a cup-like leaf. What could be mm. causing that? So this is a perennial hibiscus. It could yep. be a, um, hmm. my first thought is when leaves start to cup and curl is that it's either, uh, that it could be an, something like an herbicide has come in contact with the leaves. If you've sprayed it all, it could be drift that's, that's affecting those. Uh, in some cases, it may be a virus. Uh, if you uh, want to send a sample to our plant disease clinic, you can go to pdc.umn.edu and submit a sample for analysis. Um, also, think about what you've done around that area. If you've interfered with roots, if you've done any spraying at all, uh, treated anything, um, changed any of the environment for the plant, uh, that could be the cause of it as well. Uh, another one from the text line. I have elephant ears in a large container. The leaves will open but have holes in the leaves within a couple of days. What could be causing those holes? It could be a leaf beetle. There are leaf beetles that we saw them. I saw them really early this year in my yard. They were all over my grapevines. And uh, they're, basic, they're eating little irregular holes. Could be also um, uh, that that there's... You know, we had the hail damage. I don't know if that's the case. It's probably not it because it's they're opening up. But maybe leaf beetles, you want to look and see if you can find any kind of insect activity on them and uh, identify that insect before you can take any action at this point. But those are pretty big leaves, and if there's, you know, a few holes here and there, I wouldn't worry too much about it. All right, what did you do with the grapes? How did you? I left them alone. <laughs> yeah, leave them alone. Yeah, my grapevine yeah, too. Yeah. I see some of those yeah. holes. And I'm just like, you know, oh. a lot of the insect damage that we see, people get excited about it. Uh, they get concerned, which is great. You know, it's great to be concerned. But a lot of times, it's just a cosmetic damage. If your plants are planted in good growing conditions and they're thriving, otherwise, oftentimes it's just part of nature, and uh, not to get too worried about it. All right, I'm not sure if uh, this is for you, Julie, or a vet, but how do I keep the neighborhood cats from using my flower garden around the house as oh, their litter box? Oh, wow. That's how do you a, keep the cats That's a out? bummer. Boy, <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of that at all. Um, I, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really sure what how to advise. I would, I've heard people put mothballs out, but those are awful too. They smell bad and... They can be, you know, if you have other pets like a dog, you know, that could be an issue. Um, yeah, I don't have any advice on that. Yeah, that, that, I'm sorry about that. That, yeah. that is, that is a bummer. I talk to your neighbors about their cats. Yeah, there you go. Keep those cats in the house. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, we, we have more Smart Gardens coming up in a moment. And, of course, uh, 
Julie Weisenhorn in studio today. We will be going to the phone lines right out of the break, and we'll try to return to the text line as well. A uh, ton of calls and a ton of texts on the program. we got Jim, Mary, and Debbie all waiting on those phone lines here on the CCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. McCarthyauto.com time is 849. Certified Cadillacs on sale up to 40% off the original MSRP. Check out McCarthy Auto. Dot com today. It is Smart Gardens. Julie Weisenhorn in. Our show goes all too quickly. We have a number <laughs> of calls and texts. We, we could talk for hours yes, for sure, Julie. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Uh, the website has so many great resources, including a very popular topic, and that is caring for pollinators. Yeah, so we have a new uh, page that just came up a couple of weeks ago called Flowers for Pollinators, and that's a big initiative that we are pursuing at University of Minnesota Extension in the garden and horticulture and entomology and pathology, all the different areas, because, of course, pollinators are so important to our crops, to our diversity in our landscape, and also to overall uh, human health and uh, well-being, as well as the ecosystems. And uh, so we put together a great site for people. There are oftentimes people are asking, what kinds of plants can I plant? And that's one thing that gardeners can do is they can choose plants that are pollinator-friendly for their gardens. Uh, it's fun to go to garden centers. It's fun to look at all those plants. You can certainly mix non-natives and natives together. Um, but we have some excellent plant lists on there that are kind of starter plant lists. They're places that you can start with. Uh, we have a lot of native nurseries that are around that carry some of the native plants, and then you can certainly look at and talk to the super helpful people at our garden centers about uh, pollinator plants. Um, there's also good information on poly- pollinator conservation and biology and identification. So if you're curious about your garden and want to know what that little tiny bee is that's on your canna leaves, this is a great place to go to get a good head start on identifying maybe some of the native bees that we have, Uh, certainly some of the secondary pollinators like soldier beetles and butterflies and moths. um, Those are all important as well. So um, take a look at that. It's on extension.umn.edu and click on the garden tab, go to yard and garden. It's right there on the on the homepage next to Water Wisely, which I referred to a little bit earlier as a good uh, resource for watering your plants. To the phone lines we go. Let's bring in Mary in Belt Plain. Mary, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Julie. Love your show. Thanks. Um, I was wondering about corn gluten. Can you use that in the vegetable garden, specifically like uh, asparagus? Well, and also, I have another question, a 15-foot tall butternut tree that's got about a quarter of the branches that are dead. Okay. I'll talk about the butternut first. That I think butternuts are great trees, and I would actually contact a certified arborist about taking a look at it because that's a valuable tree in your landscape. And on our extension site under the Trees and Shrubs section, there's a publication called How to Hire a Certified Arborist. And that's not only resources for finding one, but also questions to ask and to help a homeowner be a little more educated when they're looking for a person or also when that person comes to their house to assess their trees. So that's a a great resource for anybody with mature tree questions. The corn gluten meal, corn gluten is a um, a pre-emergent. It's a byproduct of our processing. You oftentimes see it in pet foods, actually, as one of the ingredients. Um, And corn gluten will prevent seed germination. So if you're seeding anything, 
you don't want to use it. Uh, if you are looking for a low dose of nitrogen, it has a little bit of nitrogen in it. It's usually used in lawns to prevent annual seed, annual weed seeds from germinating as an alternative to, say, a synthetic um, pre-emergent. So I'm not sure that I would use it in a vegetable garden. I think I would look for maybe a slow-release fertilizer that's for vegetables that carries a lot more nutrients. I think corn gluten meal is going to not quite give you what you want in your vegetable garden. All right, let's go to the phones again. Let's bring in Jim in Shoreview. Jim, you're on the air. Uh, thank you. Morning. Uh, we we have a uh, gardenia tree uh, that we wow. put out on our deck early May. Awesome. And uh, when we bought the tree, it had one brown uh, blossom on it. Since then, it has produced one full blossom. And right now, it has 13 buds on it, but it it has been budding as long as we've had it, but no blossoms except that one. Okay, do they, do the buds drop off the plant? I believe so. Okay, they turn yellow and drop off. Yeah. So that may be, um, it could be watering, that it's being overwatered maybe. Sometimes we tend to do that. So if you, uh, you want to be sure you're feeling that soil. And um, it may be also that it's um, got a... Um, uh, the, the container that it's in may be too small for it. I don't know if you transplanted it after you got it, but you might want to look at the, if you're watering it and the water's pouring out the bottom, it could be pot bound and it needs to be transplanted into a larger container. I don't know how big the plant is. If it's a really small one, that would be relatively easy to accomplish. If it's literally a tree, like you say, it's going to take a couple people to probably do that. But that's those are the two things. Usually, the bud bud blast may also be from the change in light, but you've had it out there since May. Um, we have had some pretty violent storms already with a lot of wind and everything that might be affecting it. Bud bud blasts happen when there's some kind of usually some kind of situation that the plant is just not able to hang on to those buds, and uh, and it could be oftentimes we see it as too much water or a change in the environment that the plant's growing in. All right, a couple of quickies from the text line before we say goodbye. Uh, pruning peonies at this time of year. Um, typically when they're done flowering and the flowers are starting to lose their petals, I have seven peonies around the house. <laughs> I just cut those off and I'm done. Cut off the seed them. heads, yeah. yeah. Yep, so just cut the seed heads off. You can cut them down. I think down to the second set of leaves is advised. We have a great publication on our extension site at extension.umn.edu on peonies, and that would be a helpful place to take a look. And uh, peonies, you just kind of uh, leave them alone. Yep, leave them alone. Yeah, and and, uh, there's a time of the year, I think it's in the, I want to say in the fall or the early spring to divide them. I'm not exactly sure, but you can, again, take a look at the publication, and and that will help you out. I have a potted bird of paradise. I put it on the deck for the summer, but it's really suffering from all the wind, I think. Uh, Should I bring it in? Uh, I think you could could bring it in. It depends on, I mean, if you're going to bring it in and out of the house because of wind, I would probably move it to a more protected site, maybe on in your, you know, maybe you have a back patio that's got a a space that's not so windy. Um, I would do that. Uh, Or if you bring it in, just bring it in and leave it in. You might... Might not get the blooms because you may not get the light, but uh, but that 
that's kind of your choice at that point. All right, turf question here. Uh, first of the day, I believe. It is. Uh, the grass has brown spots. We think it's from grubs. When is the best time to apply grub prevention? And uh, is is that a good approach right now? Yeah, so grubs are, um, in particular, Japanese beetle grubs are um, uh, kind of going into a new, they're in the soil right now. So this is the time of year, I believe, to treat that and take a look at our Japanese beetle publication. There's a nice graphic that shows a, a seasonal kind of timeline and when to when to apply that grub prevention. Well, we've only got about a minute left, not uh, uh, really uh, fair enough to be to a call <laughs> or a text. So we've, we've got to run, but we want to put out the website again. How do people get all this great info? Yeah, so go to extension.umn.edu. Click on the Garden tab. Go to Yard and Garden. If you didn't get your question answered, you're welcome to go to Ask Extension. Just scroll down, and you can email in a question with uh, to myself or Master Gardeners. We're all uh, there answering questions. There's also great diagnostic tools on that site. What's wrong with my plant about diseases? What insect is this about insect identification? And is this plant a weed about weed control? All right, that website, one more time. Extension.umn.edu. Click on the Garden tab. Go to Yard and Garden. All right, Julie, great to yeah, see you again. Yeah, good to again. see you, Steve. All right. Thanks. Uh, Denny Long returns next week uh, here on Smart Gardens. And, of course, uh, Smart Gardens each and every Saturday morning between 8 and 9 here on CCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.